Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I am the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and a proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference every year. Head over to CanMedEvents.com now to learn all about our CanMed 2021 event that will take place April 12th through 14th at the Pasadena Convention Center in Pasadena, California. And get your tickets today at our special early bird rate. While you're at CanMedEvents.com, be sure to sign up for email alerts to stay up to date with all the news surrounding this industry-leading event. We still have our safety keynote, panel discussions, and additional oral presenters to announce, along with some other surprises. And here's a special tip. If you sign up using the form on our podcast page, canmedevents.com slash coffee talk, you will be entered to win two tickets to the CanMed VIP dinner. You can also find all the previous episodes of the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast there as well. This episode's guest is Michael Levinson. Michael is a criminal and civil defense attorney with 20 years of representing people in all areas of the cannabis business. On the podcast, we discuss the legal aspects of practicing cannabis medicine, including the need for more clinicians who are educated in cannabis medicine to help guide patients and defend them should they run into legal trouble, specific issues related to treating children with cannabis, the differences between a medical cannabis prescription and a recommendation, the limitations around what products or strains a clinician can recommend to a patient, how California's Proposition 64 changed the rules around how clinicians can recommend cannabis, and some examples of cannabis medicine don'ts. Michael will get into each of these issues and more at CanMed 2021, where he will be giving an oral presentation titled, The Legal Obligations of Cannabis Doctors and the Role of the Law in Cannabis Medicine. So if you are a physician, nurse, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, or any type of healthcare provider interested in recommending cannabis to your patients, you should definitely take Michael's advice to heart. He works with a lot of the top cannabis clinicians, including our dear friend, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. You should also consider attending the CanMed 2021 Full Day Medical Practicum. It is an unbelievable opportunity to learn all about the latest research into cannabinoid therapies and tap into the deep clinical experience of the instructors, who include Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, Dr. Dustin Sulak, Dr. Kevin Spellman, and board-certified NP Eloise Thiessen. Attendees will walk away with practical information about the different types of extractions and products that are on the market and optimal dosing and more. You can learn all about it at canmedevents.com practicum. Before we get to my conversation with Michael, I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, whose second book called Cannabis is Medicine is available for pre-order now. The book explains the endocannabinoid system and how it interacts with the cannabinoids found in the cannabis plant to provide medical benefits for over 30 conditions. It includes all the latest research to help patients and their loved ones understand if this natural treatment might be helpful, and if so, how to use cannabis as medicine. You can pre-order your copy of Cannabis as Medicine on Amazon, 
Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, and iBooks. I've provided links to each of those in the show description. And finally, this episode of CanMed Coffee Talk is fueled by the Hemp and Coffee Exchange. Hemp coffee is a healthy, delicious, natural product rich in trace minerals and nutrients providing sustained energy without the crash of regular coffee. For more information, check out hempcoffeeexchange.com and use the promo code DRINKHEMP to get 10% off your purchase. Okay, without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Michael Levinson. Good morning, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. My pleasure. Nice to be with you. Absolutely. And I first, I want to thank you for being a part of CanMed 2021. Um, I think you provide a very important perspective for the attendees. As we know, there are a lot of legal hoops to jump through and landmines to avoid when it comes to cannabis. So having an attorney like yourself there to offer some guidance is very much a welcome addition. So um, before we get started, I was hoping you could tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your experience in the cannabis industry. Well, I've been a lawyer for a long time. I, I got licensed in 1990, and I've done almost exclusively criminal defense. But in the last about 10 years or so, well, actually more like, let's say, 15 to 20 years, we'll go 20 years, I started representing a lot of people in the marijuana business. And by business, I mean, you know, until arguably 2015, 2016, this was either full-on black market or what kind of morphed into what everybody called the gray market, starting about 2004 with the passage of a few sort of very specific laws in California that sort of opened up people to engage in um, commercial activity around medical cannabis, which was... I mean, it all revolves around how you define what the word legal is, but let's just say that it was legal enough that I got involved defending a lot of people that got charged with it and was able to come up with a lot of really, I think, really good and creative defenses for them. And then I maintained a lot of uh, contacts in the industry. And by industry, I mean, let's just say on both sides of what is a fuzzy legal line and have helped people get licensed and then along the way, I've gotten to know a lot of doctors who practice uh, cannabis medicine. And these are, just so we're clear about this, this is a, a distinction between doctors who maybe write uh, a recommendation letter for in exchange for maybe $40 or $50 or something. I'm talking about doctors who practice medicine uh, on an ongoing basis with their patients. And while money may not be the only issue, uh, per se, it's, you know, instead of charging $40 to talk to them for 15 minutes, if that, uh, and write a letter, they charge maybe four or $500, but then they treat them on an ongoing basis. Many of the patients that were uh, of the doctors I'm talking about now, many of those patients are children. Uh, there are people with cancer, uh, people with children, especially with, uh, say, autism or pediatric um, neurological diseases and, and disorders. So these are very serious physicians. There are uh, more than a handful, but a handful that I know fairly well, uh, particularly in California that do that, and, and some of them are my clients. 
Um, and uh, so I'm probably ready to have you ask me another question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. You're talking about working with the physicians and the ones that work with, with children, especially. Um, I, I have to imagine that there are a lot of considerations around that in terms of, um, you know, whether it's child endangerment or anything like that, that, right. that could be, um, could be brought up. I don't know if you've dealt with that. I have. Well, let me, child endangerment and, and, and what can ultimately become what's called a child dependency case in the juvenile court system uh, can, are actually kind of two different things, although they're sort of related. So child endangerment is a, is a criminal charge, and it's kind of a serious one. Yeah. And I've represented a lot of people, a lot of, these would not be doctors, these would be people who are either growing or manufacturing, let us say, meaning, uh, well, manufacturing is the legal term. Uh, generally, they're making uh, some kind of oil or honey oil in their uh, home uh, where there might be children. I've had a number of clients that got charged with um, child endangerment for engaging in conduct of that kind. So far, knock on wood, I haven't lost one of those. Uh, but uh, those are criminal charges against parents. I've also represented, <clears throat> excuse me, parents who've had their children taken away, but not necessarily charged with a crime. Um, if you want, I can give you a, a, a good story. And it's, by story, I mean a true story. Yes, please. Um, please. So um, I had a, I, this person is actually still a client in some ways. So a, a mother has two children, one, uh, two young girls, one of whom is autistic. She's basically at her wit's end. This child is uh, starting to bang her head, having, you know, nonstop or, you know, continuous meltdowns. She's becoming a worsening issue or a more difficult problem for this parent, mother and father. Oh, and the child's getting to be about nine years old, has special, uh, goes to a public school, but they have to bring in special instructors for her. So she's at her wit's end and someone, a friend, a mother, another mother suggests, you know, you might want to try cannabis uh, to treat your daughter. She, <clears throat> excuse me, she has a hard time finding a good doctor. She goes, she approaches or tries to see if this one particular doctor will, uh, this is a doctor who might uh, be speaking, not just might, will be speaking at, at the program in, uh, in April. This doctor's unfortunately booked and can't take this patient on, this mother and daughter on. So she, the mother finds just, you know, a doctor who's sort of, uh, this person's an orthopedist who's moonlighting writing medical cannabis recommendations. The doctor does the best they can, does a review, writes a medical cannabis recommendation, but then the question becomes, well, how much and what kind should I give to my child? Mm -hmm. And uh, the orthopedist, functionally shrugs his shoulders because he doesn't know. He doesn't know anything about it. He just knows that he can, excuse me, write a recommendation. So the parent gets in touch with a company that markets um, oil online. Let's just suggest that that's not exactly legal. Uh, but the mother doesn't know this. And then as part of what this um, company that markets the product online, one of the services they offer is what they call a dosing specialist at an extra cost who is not a physician, who's essentially a physician's assistant or a nurse in another state, but who can be contacted online. So this individual, this dosing specialist makes a recommendation on what kind and how much should be used. 
uh, it starts off okay, then makes another recommendation. And this is all allegedly because there's actually litigation around this now, additional other litigation. In other words, the county is being sued for this now. But, excuse me, uh, the initial issue is that this child allegedly shows some signs of cannabis intoxication at school. Mm. So the, in, this is in, in some parts of the state, it's the Child Protective Service. In other parts of the state, it's what they call the Department of Children and Family Services. They are called. Um, I will not endorse the truth of what they alleged, but they allege that uh, they were told by school officials that there was this alleged intoxication on the part of this child. Um, the parents are interviewed. They say they don't really, they haven't seen it themselves. The physician is never consulted. The medical director of the Department of Children and Family Services never consulted. But after uh, about two weeks with nothing additional happening, the county obtains a warrant and takes both children into custody, uh, takes them away from the parents and puts both of them into separate foster care. Um, I then am get involved, I get referred to this person. And at the first court appearance is about four days later, we get the children returned to the home. And that is with the assistance of a, I'm gonna, that's with the assistance of Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, mm-hmm. who um, is the, you know, epitome of the, the way that medical cannabis should be practiced, in my opinion. I've known her for quite some time. And just so you know, I've, I've had her as a, as an expert witness in my cases on the order of about 10 times, and never once has she actually had to take the witness stand. Hmm. What happens is she usually talks to the lawyers or the judge, either informally or in chambers, and then they just drop everything because they know that what she says is absolutely scientifically backed. There's no refu- no way to refute it, and there's no point in fighting on. Wow. And that's happened rel- you know, probably on the order of about 10 times. Um, and uh, that, so anyways, Dr. Goldstein gets involved in this. Um, and I'm old school. I'd call her Bonnie, but I just can't bring myself to call people by their first name unless they've given me permission to do that publicly. So anyway, um, she, uh, the children are returned, but there's an ongoing case that goes on for, this goes on for the better part of 60 days legally, but they're at home. And then eventually we win the case outright all they're not charges, but allegations are dropped with prejudice and efforts to have the parents adhere to some form of uh, agreement with the county not to treat these children this way with medical cannabis are dropped. And now the county's being sued for being dishonest in the way in which, excuse me, in the way in which the children were taken in the first place. But what this case highlights, as I see it, is sort of a couple of things. First, you've got a doctor this orthopedist, perfectly okay guy, but really doesn't know anything about cannabis, just knows that there are some boxes to check. And if I do that and I get a certain amount of money, uh, frankly, then I can write this letter, but knows nothing about dosing, knows nothing about the kinds of cannabis that are better for others. And that is a tricky issue because there, there is data, but most of it was not developed in the United States. And um, like for and for example, in this parents' uh, case, the primary complaint that the Department of Children and Family Services had was, well, this is not FDA approved. Okay, well, 
it's not FDA approved for a whole variety of reasons, but it is approved by the state. And one of the reasons that it's not FDA approved is that there are FDA approved cannabis medicines now. Uh, there was not any at the time, but um, it's very, it's complicated, but it has to do with the number of variables that there may be. In other words, if you have a whole plant medicine, which of the elements or which of the cannabinoids, or is it the cannabinoids in relations to others? In other words, how do you isolate which is the variable that is causing or potentially causing the improvement in the child's condition, okay? And so this takes a good deal, of, and, and there is perhaps not extensive data on each and every one of the cannabinoids, but for sure what there is, is extensive clinical experience data on the part of very experienced, data-oriented, good physicians like Dr. Goldstein, <clears throat> excuse me, like Frank Lucido and others, okay, who know, or at least are able to say what they've had, uh, what, the, what their experience is with their patients. And so they can say uh, that they can make, you know, reasoned, basic, good recommendations as opposed to a, you know, dosing specialist working on payment from a company who really is clueless on this and are certainly far more clueless than, than any of these really good doctors, okay? And so I, I think what that case highlights is how important it is to really to have good doctors with a lot of experience in this area who are and who are also willing frankly and this is where this is one of the frustrations that I have sure I have the frustration as a lawyer but I think it's a problem for a lot of people which is when a problem arises I think a doctor needs to be ready to go into court and back up what they've done and not just back it up but explain it in logical you know, scientific data oriented terms. And um, that means you have to learn about it and you have to get some experience with it and you have to work with it. And so that's why I think it's, a, in my opinion, it's, a, it's really important for doctors to be really experienced and knowledge, knowledgeable about cannabis and the dosing and the kinds that are used and then know how to, not just whether or not they can or cannot recommend it to a patient, but essentially how to recommend it to a patient, and then how to keep that system, that is to say that communication ongoing between patient and doctor, because, you know, if I may, I'll just go on and tell you, you know, doctors often want to know, well, how, what do I, you know, what can I really say to a patient? Well, what, what are the sort of limitations of what I can do and what I can't do in talking directly with the patient? And what I have advised uh, my clients doc, who are doctors and what I think is, you know, sound practice on the part of a doctor and other doctors, I think, will endorse this, which is to say, not to say, uh, you know, this is what you should or should not do because uh, doctors are also, because doctors have to walk a fine line when it comes to discussing medical cannabis with their patients because, <clears throat> excuse me, they cannot prescribe it. And prescribe by law, they cannot prescribe it, quote unquote. And prescribing means more than just in, in California and in most states, it's a recommendation of it rather than a prescription because in order to prescribe it, you're also essentially making a medical order on the times of day and the amounts and, uh, and, and that should be used. 
Those are not facts that are readily knowable based on even the data that is available. Rather, what I advise doctors, and I think what they should say is, that in my practice, I have found that my patients benefit from using this particular product and in this particular way, in this particular amount, but we'll start with that and then we need to stay in contact because we may need to make adjustments, okay? Medical cannabis in, in one way um, should be, I think, and I think doctors agree with this, should be recommended in the way that all medicine, that is to say medical, that is to say medicine, meaning pills or other forms of uh, treatment should be uh, imparted, which is the theory almost always really should be start with only the amount that is necessary or is re uh, reasonable to relieve symptoms. And then if that doesn't work, then we'll work our way up. So essentially start small, start conservative and work your way up. And um, I, that is how I advise doctors. And I think that's the right way to do it. And I also think that, that doctors with experience know whether it's CBD, CBDA, whether it's THC, whether it's THCA. And um, good clinically experienced doctors can give advice along those lines, but always give the caveat that they need to get back in touch and stay in touch so that, um, so that you know, they can check in and know whether it's what's working and what isn't working and um, starting small and working your up is the way to go. I think you're absolutely right. And a few things that sort of jumped out at me in that story is first, really the need for there to be more good knowledgeable doctors out there that can help um, whether it be parents with their kids or, or just patients who are looking to, to use cannabis, help them navigate and to, um, to find out um, what's going to work for them and give them sound advice. Like you said, sort of that whole idea of start low and go slow. Um, yeah. I think there, there needs to be more education out there and, and to kind of tie it all back to Kim. And that's one of the reasons we really um, are happy to be offering this year uh, a medical practicum so that healthcare providers can come and learn from a Bonnie Goldstein and Dustin Sulak and Eloise Thiessen, um, these people who have great experience uh, that they can share. Um, it's one of the reasons we really wanted to bring that to CanMed is because one of the things that you mentioned in that story is that um, this parent originally tried to go to Bonnie, but she was booked. And one of the things that jumped out at me when I talked with Bonnie on, on the podcast is that there are so few medical professionals, especially when it comes to pediatrics, who are well-versed in cannabis or even feel comfortable recommending cannabis. So we really need more of that out there because the need is there and they really need that guidance. But another thing that really jumped out at me as, as a parent is that story of you know, kids being taken away from a parent who's just trying to do the right thing is really scary. Um, and I would imagine that if you're a parent in that situation that, that feels that cannabis could be beneficial, but here's a story like that, what can they do really to kind of protect themselves um, so that something like that doesn't happen? Well, the, so from a practical standpoint, I mean, the best thing you can do is, is and unfortunately, it sort of ties into what you said, which is that it, it can be difficult, but you need to get the best medical advice you can get, 
okay? And um, there, it, there's really good medical advice out there, but there's, there's not enough doctors to, for, the, for the patients that need them. Um, but yes, you need to get high quality medical advice so that at least you can rely, you know that what you're getting, I mean, there's high quality medical advice, quite frankly, there may be other doctors who are doing their best, but don't know that much. And then there's just copious amounts of absolute nonsense floating around. Absolutely. Okay? And unfortunately for a parent, what do they know? You know, they don't know from one from the other. I mean, they all seem like, you know, uh, they seem good enough. I mean, you know, they do their best to figure it out and they, they hope cross their fingers that something doesn't go haywire. Okay. But, um, you, you know, you, you really want to get good medical advice and then you do want to be very conservative about how you approach it. Now there's all, there's also a couple of other things that you got to be careful about. For example, just in simple terms, if you have, particularly if you have more than one child, but even with one child, you have to store that medicine in a place where, you know, nobody but you and your parent, uh, your uh, partner, let's say, in other words, nobody but an adult can ever even get their hands on it or even arguably know where it is, okay? One of the things that has happened in some of my cases is, you know, I mean, they, maybe it's being stored on a shelf way up high, but the shelf isn't locked. I mean, well, unfortunately, you have to assume that the governmental authorities, so to speak, see cannabis as, you know, radioactive uranium or something. And so, <laughs> right. you know, you just have to treat it that way. I mean, it, it sh you shouldn't have to right? Because it's not, but that is just the mindset that you have to adopt, unfortunately. So you have to store it where it's safe. You have to be very careful about it. You know, and, and what happened in this particular case, for example, is that this particular child allegedly smelled a little bit like cannabis, which said to alarm bells off in the mind of the people at the school. That's doubtful, actually, whether that's a fact. The other thing, quite frankly, honestly, that this parent did was, uh, you know, I mean, it would, you know, without me and not thinking, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm struggling to say this because it actually, it's, I'm wondering if I'm giving out the, you know, if I'm letting something be privileged or not. Well, let's just put it this way. You don't necessarily have to let it be known, even discreetly or quietly, that you're treating your child with medical cannabis, okay? Hmm. Because there are ears that that will go to that will then go into panic mode and start calling authorities and you name it, okay? Hmm and make, maybe making up uh, problems, you know what I mean? Out of fear for themselves and covering their own fannies and you name it. Um, so there's, those are just sort of basic precautions that you should take, but you wanna make, you know, you, don't, you do wanna make sure that your child doesn't smell like it if you can help it. You, you know, it's nobody's business but your own, just like it would be with any other medicine. Now, in point of fact, in California now, there have been rulings that have allowed for, for children to actually be given the medicine, and by medicine I mean medical cannabis, by the school nurse on school grounds, okay? Hmm. Now, actually, Dr. Goldstein has a, uh, she and I have discussed this a little bit, there's a bit of an issue around that because that requires what's called a medical order, and a medical order is a prescription, and is that really violating the medical, the, what, what doctors are supposed to do because they aren't supposed to prescribe it. They're only supposed to recommend or approve it. Um, presumably the doctor who, it, this is a case that uh, came out of uh, Northern California and it is a, it's a, an appellate ruling. So it's got some presidential value. The doctor who did this or is involved in this 
presumably just willing to take the risk and, and has a good lawyer. So, uh, you know, is, are the, and is willing to, you know, take the risk and sort of, you know, let them challenge him on this. Uh, and so far, I don't believe a legal challenge has been made to that. So in point of fact, the, the, the landscape, because of some of these cases, is a little bit better than it once was for parents who want their children, because some of these children, quite frankly, you know, it's one thing, maybe you give the child medicine in the morning, but um, it's been shown that some of this stuff needs to be given throughout the day. And it is cannabis and it makes school officials very nervous. They don't like having it on the premises. They don't think it should, all of the sort of societal fears of it come through. Uh, but there has been a, a ruling that says that the school nurse or some other school official can administer it to the child. There were times actually when parents literally had to go to the edge of the school grounds, have their child, you know, take one, walk across the schoolyard, let's say, take one step off the pavement, then they'd give them the medicine, then they'd return to school. But that's hardly practical right. for the parent, for the child, for the school. And so that's what gave rise to this uh, lawsuit. Wow, that's, that's amazing. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, if I understand correctly, you, do you practice exclusively in California? I'm only licensed in California. So I do, I have advised people that, I have advised doctors that are licensed in other states, just advising them that I'm not licensed in that state to practice law, but I can advise them on the on what the what say Texas law says and what it says about it, but I can't represent them in a Texas court. Say, uh, but I I'm see. only I am licensed in California. Sure, and so I guess what I wanted to ask is sort of how how much of this advice is state specific, um, and kind of how does California compare to to the rest of the country? Well, it's it's very state specific. It's almost exclusively state specific because. In other words, almost every every state is is different than every other state. Mm -hmm. um, California was the first to allow any form of medical cannabis, and um, or any form of even quasi legal cannabis, and it came in the form of medical cannabis. That was with the passage of Prop 215, otherwise known as the Compassionate Use Act of 1996. Okay, and this this is a good example. So uh, under Calif under Prop 215, which by the way, has been ruled to be a, a part of the California Constitution, and therefore creates a constitutional right of uh, California residents, uh, Californians, as it says, uh, to, to use uh, medical cannabis, to possess it and use it. Now, hyper-technically using cannabis the actual use of cannabis has never been illegal uh, in California. Um, it is illegal, just as a, as a contrast, it is illegal to use, actually use certain other illicit drugs like cocaine, certain, I don't want to say other illicit drugs, certain illicit drugs like cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin, just using them as a crime. In California, using marijuana, using marijuana has never been a crime, but the possession of it, presumably in the microseconds before the use of it, and in the microseconds after the use of it, or even during the use of it in another form, it has been a crime. Okay, so what what Prop 215 said is that it, it gave a an affirmative defense 
to various charges relating to the possession of medical of cannabis when there was a doctor's recommendation or approval okay and that was important and it still is important in a way because uh you what many patients were doing in 1996 was uh this arose probably became it gained a lot of steam when there were a lot of people frankly who had aids and needed something to stimulate their appetite and to and other can and both they and other and perhaps cancer patients and others needed something to stimulate their appetite and to suppress nausea and they had found for years people knew for years that that using marijuana or cannabis really was a good way to do that and so the approval the the fact that the prop 215 had the word approval was relevant because people would go to their doctors and say i've been using medical i've been using cannabis to help me with uh, my appetite to suppress nausea um, is that okay with you and prop 215 needed to give doctors a way to say yes it is and that was important also because at that point there really had been there was no genuine data that most doctors could rely upon at all. They, they knew most doctors knew nothing about it, but if they felt that it was appropriate based on what their patient was telling them, that it's helping me, it's, and it's certainly not hurting me, which is another element to this, which is uh, one of the reasons that many physicians uh, do feel comfortable recommending medical cannabis or approving it is because it is in many ways, it's basically harmless with a few exceptions, and those exceptions are not insignificant, but it is I don't want to say harmless, but it is relatively harmless. And it certainly can never, there's no fatal dose. There's no known fatal dose. It's never caused a fatality. So, um, you know, it's a safe uh, medication in, in many, many, generally speaking, it is safe. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but anyways, what, what Prop 215 says is, can, it is a recommendation or approval. And then it lists, um, the purpose of discussing this is to show you the difference between California law and this and many other states, it lists several conditions, glaucoma, AIDS, uh, et cetera, and then it finally, certain specific cancer, and then it says, so it lists the specific conditions, and then it says, or any other ailment for which marijuana provides relief, okay, which is a pretty open-ended thing. And so doctors, were allowed and still are allowed to listen to a patient say, look, I use cannabis for this, that, or the other thing, and it relieves my symptoms for, well, migraine is one of the listed symptoms, but uh, so is chronic pain. But let's say something like, um, well, so is arthritis. Uh, but, uh, you know, let's pick a non-specific condition, uh, anxiety, and it helps me, okay? And if the doctor approves of this, then that's all that needs to be done. It, in, and legally, by the way, under Prop 215, it need not be in writing, oral or in writing, okay? And that's important because at the time, there were a lot of doctors that didn't want to commit it to writing, uh, but, they wanted to be, but patients wanted to be able to say that their doctors had done it for them. The written recommendations now are, are required because they you can't really buy it in a dispensary without a written recommendation. You cannot buy it without a written recommendation, and that can be verified. And 
since the passage of Prop 64, which was in 2016, which in, essentially, in some substance, legalized uh, a cannabis to some degree, meaning it, it legalized or decriminalized completely possession of it up to certain amounts. It also changed some of the rules, essentially, for the way in which physicians are supposed to make evaluations and recommendations for medical cannabis. So they have to now be the attending physician. <clears throat> They're supposed to gather much more in the way of records. Um, I have an example, the counterexample that I can tell you about that I just experienced recently, uh, but I'll do that after I've finished telling you about the sort of new rules in California. So you have to be the attending physician. You have, you have to engage in a, in a more extensive evaluation doesn't have to be, you don't have, by attending, by the way, you don't have to be the only physician. Um, it does not have to be in person. It can be done by telemedicine, and that includes even the initial visit, the initial consultation. And um, you are supposed to be a more ongoing presence in your patient's care. You don't have to be a lot more of a, a more ongoing presence, but more than just, you know, hi, how are you? You tell me you have headaches. Thank you for your $40. Here's your letter. Okay, those days were never very good, frankly, but they're basically gone now for physicians. Now, as far as other states, there's probably no state that's um, as sort of laissez-faire as California is when it comes to what doctors essentially have to do and are allowed to do in evaluating a patient and recommending cannabis. Most states uh, have only specific conditions. Most other states have only specific conditions for which it's allowed. Many states do not allow the recommendation of any cannabis that contains THC. It has to only be CBD. It need not be necessarily hemp-derived. Okay, that's a whole nother set of rules that arose out of the passage of the Farm Bill a couple of years ago. But, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, other states, you know, they, they have very many specific uh, conditions. Many doctors have to be specially certified and, and are the only ones, the only kinds of physicians that can recommend cannabis. California doesn't require any special certification or any special course be taken or any special license be granted. Any physician can recommend medical cannabis to their patient if they choose. There are some medical groups that won't do it. And there are some uh, uh, insurance companies that won't cover doctors who do do it, but that's another issue. But in other states, you know, you have to get some sort of state certificate. Many states require that. Patients have to get a special certification in many states. So it is very, very state specific. And a doctor, any physician in any state that intends to get involved in, the, in recommending and treating patients with medical cannabis really needs to make sure that they either consult very carefully with you know, the rules available through the medical board of that state, or ideally they'd get some legal advice because uh, these rules are not self-explanatory. And you know, every rule you read comes with a lot of, well, what does this mean? What does that mean? Well, does it mean I can do this? What if I do that, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and you said you had an example to share? Well, okay, so. Uh, back in, uh, I don't know if this magazine still exists, but there used to be a magazine, I think it was called Fashion Magazine, and they used to have fashion do's and fashion don'ts, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give 
doctors a medical cannabis don't. Okay. <laughs> so, and an unnamed, uh, I'll, I'll leave this unnamed for the moment. In a non, unnamed municipality in Northern California, there is a dispensary that has a sign in its window. It's a, it's a relatively newly opened dispensary that has a legally, at least ostensibly legally licensed by the Board of uh, Bureau of Cannabis Control, which is the governing body in California. It has a sign in its window that, see, that says free medical recommendation cards. Okay. <laughs> wow. And this is in a municipality that does not uh, allow uh, recreational cannabis sales. Uh, recre and I know that I, I actually agree. I think recreational is a bit of a, if not a misnomer, a pejorative. Anyways, getting back to this dispensary. So they have a sign that says free medical recommendation cards. Well, that sounded interesting. So let's say that this medical cannabis lawyer went in there just to investigate this. Okay. <laughs> And there were two people, uh, middle-aged to late middle-aged people, much like myself age-wise, that were sitting using an iPad. And the, the, most of these dispensaries have sort of a lobby, so to speak, that's cut off from the actual, you have to go through another security door, let's say, to get into the real the store, okay? Right. And there was a security guard. So the security guard said to me, he said, uh, do you have a, rec a medical recommendation card? I said, I said, no. Uh, and he said, okay, well, just wait, we'll get you one. I said, okay. <laughs> so uh, this, the other couple finished what they were doing on the iPad and he handed each one of them a card and they walked into the store. He said, here's your iPad. And I filled out, you know, I, I touched all the, you know, your name, address, telephone number, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you take a picture of your driver's license. It's sent off um, to the doctor. Okay, now I'm going to be, I'm not going to disclose the name of the doctor, but let's just say it's, it's not a doctor. It is a nickname. So it's uh, something like Dr. Bud, okay, <laughs> <laughs> or Dr. Nugget, okay, or, you know, Dr. Greenleaf or something, right? It's something like that, but you get the idea, right? Yeah. You send, him a, you send a picture of your driver's license and a picture of yourself, presumably to match to the driver's license. You finger sign your name. Actually, I'm not even sure if you finger sign your name. You just touch the check mark. It has the list of the from, the, from Prop 215, the list of the ailments. Which one of these do you have? And then you can click other. You're not required to, to even describe specifically what it is, but I said that I have you know, arthritis in my, and bursitis in my hip. Okay. And that was it. I hit click. It got sent off. The security guy, nice guy, took a look at it. He said, okay. And he handed me my card. <laughs> I walked into this. I never spoke to anyone. I don't, I don't know who the, who the actual physician is. Okay. I, <clears throat> excuse me, walked into the dispensary got in the short line and waited. I actually bought a few products. Okay. My name came up on the screen. He said, are you Michael? I said, yes. The name came up on the screen. He said, okay, you're approved. You've got your medical recommendation. And I bought the products. And now they, they said that my actual recommendation letter would be emailed to me later so that I could use it at other dispensaries if I chose to. Okay. But, but as far as this dispensary was concerned, it was already, it was already done. 
I did not pay anything for that um, recommendation, okay? A day or two passed, and I, I had gotten an email that said I was approved from Dr. Bud, okay? But, <clears throat> excuse me, they hadn't sent me the actual letter. So I, I emailed them and said, hey, you know, just wondering when my actual letter, I, I went to such and such a dispensary, I got some products, it was really, I'm really glad, it was very helpful, I really, you know, just sort of appreciated what you did for me, but when can I expect to get my letter? The email that returned said, okay, and this is, I've already described multiple fashion don'ts, or excuse me, medical cannabis don'ts here, okay? In law school, they call this an issue spotter, and there's a lot of issues here already, okay? But, <clears throat> excuse me, I got an email back that said, you will, thank you for your correspondence, you will receive your recommendation letter, okay? Listen carefully, when the dispensary pays for it, okay? Um, Let's see if we can spot the issues here, doctors. <laughs> you, the, the sirens should be going off in your head, okay? Uh, that, quite honestly, if that is how this is being done, let me just advise the medical community out there. That is a crime, okay? It is a crime for a physician to have a financial interest in a dispensary okay, in any provider of medical cannabis, at least in California. Now, that may not necessarily be true in other states. Sorry if you heard my chair there. But um, it is a, that is a crime, okay? It's a and, kickback, no? And, and a financial interest includes receiving compensation from them. So that's what lawyers in court call game, set, and match. That is a crime, okay? It is also considered... And this is just a little unsolicited or, you know, helpful advice to physicians in California. It is considered unprofessional conduct out of the medical board's rules and the, and the business and professions code to have any association with a provider of medical cannabis, okay? They simply consider it to be a conflict of interest. You cannot associate financially or otherwise with a, a provider of medical cannabis. Now, I don't know how long, I have to be honest, I mean, I've, I've had clients, criminal clients, let's say, not necessarily doctors or medical cannabis clients, but people that have got involved in various plots and schemes to do certain things. And I have on occasion, not often, gone through the reports with them and said to them, you know, this, don't get me wrong here, but did you really think you were going to get away with this? Okay. And I would have to say to whoever's involved in this, do you really think you're going to get away with it? I mean, they have this sign right there in the window. Okay. Right. Now, I can go. I can go on about a couple of other things if you want. But, um, uh, for example, physicians. <clears throat> excuse me. There are physicians, and they. This is still done, and this probably will be done at this place, quite frankly, because this isn't really a physician, but they're they're acting on behalf of the physician. The medical board sends Confederates into doctor's offices and has them say, th this is in California, and I presume perhaps in other states too, and has them say things like, you know, I really don't need this. Can you write me the letter? And the doctor will say, well, what, you know, what's going on? What do you need it for? Well, I don't really have anything wrong with me. I just, you know, I like marijuana and I want a medical letter. Okay. Now, there have been doctors in California who 
lost their licenses, but there have been doctors who have said to that person who really is working for the medical board and Mm -hmm. doing an investigation, right? have said, well, just tell me that you have migraines. Tell me that you have some problem and I'll write you the letter. I just need to hear it from you, okay? No one really needs to be told how wrong that can be. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, uh, and, but there are doctors who have done that. And then there are other doctors who say, well, I can't do that. I mean, I can't just tell you, I can't, you know, if you're not telling me that you have an ailment, how could I you know, functionally prescribe or recommend a medicine for it? Okay, well, sometimes the people get insistent and um, th- that's frankly, the, if they get a little bit insistent about it, that's the surefire sign that you know, these are basically the fuzz and you're not supposed to you know, send them out the door, okay? But the other reason that quite frankly, and the, the real reason, I mean, why physicians shouldn't do that is because you shouldn't, I mean, hardly need me to tell them this, but, you know, if you, you recommend or prescribe medicine for people who really need it, okay, regardless of whether you don't do it just so you won't get in trouble, you don't do it because it's not the right thing to do. It's not appropriate medical practice. Sure. Anyone, no one needs me to tell them this, okay, except for the uh, people that I, the doctors that I'm aware of who did, you know, break that rule. And they were indignant about it. The ones that I know, they were indignant about it. They couldn't believe that they got in trouble for this. And, and you know, I guess maybe that's why they got in the trouble is because, you know, they somehow persuaded themselves that this wasn't wrong. One of the things that uh, kind of stood out was you said that medical professionals can't really have any relationship with uh, whether it be a dispensary or a product manufacturer. So does that mean that, um, say, I'm a doctor and I... I tell a patient, go to this dispensary. They have great stuff and great staff that can answer your questions. Is that appropriate or? Um... You, wouldn't, you wouldn't want to word it that way. Hmm. Okay. okay. You wouldn't say, you don't want to say go to, the, the, this is what I believe is, and this is through hard fought and developed uh, practice. And it, maybe it isn't such a, you know, isn't that innovative, but this is, you wouldn't want to word it that way. Okay. The way that you would want to word that is, I have found, or my patients have found, that this particular product has been helpful to them, okay? You don't necessarily have to say the additional caveat that says there may be others as well. That, I think, is implied, but you can say, and should say, I think, I I have found that such and such a product has been helpful to my, and I think it is appropriate. It is perfectly appropriate, or certainly not objectionable to say. You can say I have found that this product, meaning this ratio of CBDA to CBD of C, you know, they come in varying ratios of cannabinoids. Right, and you can say that I have found that an oil that contains this ratio has been helpful to my patients with this condition. I think you could also, and if, presumably the next question almost always is, well, do you know where I can get it or do you know what, what brand or something? I think it's appropriate to say, I believe that such and such, a, that product or that ratio, let us say, is offered by such and such a manufacturer. And I believe it may be available at such and such a dispensary, but you're, you should do some you know, quick research and call around because it's also the case, quite frankly, that these things are, and that's a problem with medical cannabis, particularly the more specialized oils for the 
uh, you know, pediatric conditions, they're not, there's not like a steady supply of them at the same places at the same times often. And so yeah. some research has to be done, but I do think it's appropriate to say that I have found and my patients have told me that they have found success with, and yes, I do think it's appropriate to say this product, this ratio, this manufacturer, you don't necessarily want to get caught up in saying, well, you know, the Jones is better than the Smith or the what, something like that. You just say, this is what I have found and my patients have found to be helpful to them, to be beneficial to them. Interesting. Well, um, I think we're, we're running out of time here, unfortunately. Um, but before I let you go, I wanted to give you an opportunity to sort of uh, tell the folks what it is you're going to be presenting on at CAMID 2021 um, and what they can expect to learn. Well, hopefully I, I can expand on some of the things I've been talking about here. You know, there's so many issues that come up uh, that doctors ask me about all the time. You know, what's the legality of, of uh, hemp-derived CBD at this point? What are the federal rules versus the state rules re regarding CBD? That's a big one that comes up. What do I tell my patients about driving if they're using medical cannabis? What do I tell my patients whether or not if they use it, that'll be a problem, let's say, in a, in a child custody battle with a spouse because mm. they're going to say I'm using an intoxicant. That's a big question. In other words, how do I advise my patients about uh, how to treat their children with it? Um, what, how can I, how do I avoid, how do my patients avoid trouble uh, by my recommending cannabis? Um, th those are some of the biggest ones. How do I protect myself essentially? Can I endorse a product? Can I actually work with a company to endorse a product? Can I, can I get involved uh, even with, you know, sort of second-handedly, for example, some doctors are frequently asked to do uh, basically webinars, but what the webinars really are, they're just infomercials for products or for companies that endorse products. You, have, you know, how much care do I have to take about that? Um, you know, can I, what, to what degree can I engage in medical practice if I'm, say, in California? Can, what, to what degree can I engage in in telemedicine or other practice in other states. It is possible if certain steps are taken. You don't necessarily have to get licensed in every state as a physician to, to practice telemedicine under the current conditions in, in many states. Um, those are the big ones, driving, telemedicine, children. Uh, how, how can I learn more about this? Frankly, also, how, how can I develop a practice treating patients with medical cannabis, do it legally and, 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 you know, in a financially smart way, which by the way, can be done and can be, if done appropriately, can be a very, you know, frankly, uh, profitable and, and beneficial medical practice for a lot of people. And it's one where frankly, you might not be, you know, spending two thirds of your time or whatever ridiculous percentage that a lot of physicians spend right now fighting with insurance companies about whether things will be approved. Um, so those are the kinds of things I'd like to discuss. Well, like I said, our goal is to have a lot of physicians in the house learning um, about how to properly dose and properly recommend cannabis. So I imagine your session will be well attended and it'll probably be a lot of questions. So definitely bring your stack of business cards. I'm sure <laughs> people are going to want to, going to want to speak with you. Well, I'm um, looking forward to it. 
Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you in Pasadena in the spring. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. I do hope you enjoyed my conversation with Michael Levinson. Please check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to our sponsors, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein and the Hemp Coffee Exchange. Don't forget to pre-order your copy of Cannabis is Medicine. Our next episode will drop September 2nd. In the meantime, please go to canmenevents.com slash coffee talk to sign up for email updates and also check out our previous episodes of the podcast. If you do sign up for alerts, that will enter you into a drawing to win two tickets to our CanMed 2021 VIP dinner and keep you up to date with all things CanMed 2021. If social media is your thing, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed events. And lastly, if you are listening via a podcast app, please hit the subscribe button so that new episodes automatically download to your device and please also leave us a five-star review. All right, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next episode of CanMed Coffee Talk.